Tucson Business Radio is proud to present Home Care Today, where the veil is lifted and we navigate our way through the Tucson home care industry. Proudly sponsored by Caring Senior Service Tucson. Your hosts, Cindy Scheller and Mark Bishop. And welcome, everyone, to another Home Care Today episode, proudly sponsored by Caring Senior Service, Tucson's leading home care provider. Your hosts are... Cindy Scheller. And Mark Bishop with the show that lifts the veil on Home Care Today as we navigate our way through the industry with experienced partners. Our mission is to ensure that you, our listeners, come away with a bucket load of information or just a nugget worth that's helpful to you. Our special guests this episode are Kathy Peak, CEO of Peak Financial Group, and Piper Fritzen, um, Administrator, RN Administrator for Casa de la Luz Hospice. And we're very excited to have you both, ladies. Before we get into that, I want to make note here that Kathy Peak is a licensed financial advisor with Satira Financial Specialist as her broker dealer. Securities offered through Satira Financial Specialists, member FINRA, SIPC, advisory services offered through Satira Investment Advisors, LLC. Satira ent- entities are under separate ownership from any other named entity. Kathy's is doing business as the Peak Financial Group. The podcast is designed to provide general information on the subjects covered, and it is not, however, intended to provide specific legal or tax investment advice. You are encouraged to consult with your tax advisor, attorney, or investment professional on these subjects. So, with that said, we are excited to welcome you both to Home Care Today. This show focuses on personal finances, insurance, and hospice care end of life care welcome ladies thank you glad to have you guys with us today thank you so typically hospice agencies express their philosophies in different ways what is casa de la luz's philosophy for our listeners so our philosophy is um allowing superior care at end of life so looking at six months or less of life expectancy without treatment um, bringing harmony and dignity to end of life and and helping with that journey Um, really focused on that last six months which is a medicare regulation Um, but really it's a holistic care to end of life care so spiritual social worker care nursing physician it's an interdisciplinary approach to end of life Wonderful, thank you. What do you think separates Casa de la Luz from other agencies in town? Um, I'm going to have to say it's our mission to deliver superior care at end of life with dignity and harmony. Our two co-founders established that 24 years ago, um, and we live it and breathe it today. So I think it's imperative to recognize that everybody's end of life journey is different, and how we're able to serve and promote that is huge for Casa de la Luz. Absolutely, and we all work in a really saturated market in healthcare and in the financial world. So we like to point out to our uh, listeners those special things that may separate you. So, well, if I may, absolutely. Since Casas de los Luz was the caregiver um, hospice for my mom in her last three weeks of life, um, it was exemplary. And um, I couldn't have done it without them. But one of the things that I think separates them um, is the after um, care that they give to the caregivers. And they call, they support you, they give counseling. And um, I was 
I didn't know I was lost. I didn't know what grief really was. Mm -hmm. And um, I got a phone call. I was great in the beginning because I was free again. I didn't have 24-hour care and and all of the stress of taking care of my mom. Um, But then I started noticing some differences in myself. And they called me three months in. And I was going to be strong and say, no, everything's just fine. But then the more they asked the questions, I figured out that what I was experiencing was grief. So I'm so glad you brought that up. And we're going to dive into some bereavement questions later mm-hmm. in our interviews with you guys. Um, yeah. But thank you for sharing that, yeah. Kathy. I've, they were a very important part of my life and my mother's life. That's awesome. So, you know, I want to say that I was so sad to hear that Casa de la Luz's co-founder, Lynette, um, passed away earlier this year, and I'm sure that Agnes and your staff was crushed. And uh, she was an amazing woman, and she left quite a legacy on her her family and our community and on me personally. She was a big supporter um, when I jumped off the cliff for my own agency. So how is Casa's staff doing? So we still continue to mourn the loss of Lynette, um, but her vision and her mission continue in everything we do. Um, Agnes is amazing. So as the co-founder, she's moved, you know, into some of those roles and Mm -hmm. um, we continue to move forward to deliver superior care, truly in honor of Lynette's vision. She was a visionary um, and we're just honored to continue to live that mission. That's amazing. Is there anything um, else specifically as the organization moves forward? So we, you know, um, we continue to deliver and her, her goals and mm-hmm. her vision, um, and we continue just to serve. That's a legacy in itself, right? That you have a founder that folks still want to emulate and folks still want to honor and put into place. So um, I would, um, I just, you know, we all miss her and we loved her and, we just wanted to put that out there. Well, we appreciate it. Um, we all miss her every day, and yeah. uh, but her legacy lives on. Yes, it does. So, Kathy, let me ask you, what separates you in the financial world from others in the financial world? That's a great question. Though I'm registered as a financial advisor and in insurance as, as well, I like to focus in on women. Um, specifically divorcees and widows or those thinking about divorce. And um, women really need special care. They need to be listened to. And uh, especially, well, I can't say especially one or the other. I mean, divorcees are experiencing a death. They're experiencing not the, not only the death of a marriage, but also a death of a dream. And for a lot of women that become widows, mm-hmm. that, even right. to this day, a lot of them have no idea what's going on with the finances. Right. And I found that those are the ones that really need the most care. And unfortunately... It's still the case that the women are not involved in any of that. And so they're like deer in headlights when it comes to, I've I've inherited this or I haven't inherited this. Now what do I do? Mm -hmm. And they're at an age where there may be some societal, societal shame or guilt or something put on them where they hesitate to go see anybody about it and learn about it because they should have already. And so, and if they were working with a financial advisor, 
typically it'll be a man and you know a lot of them are really great but there's a lot of them that just want to do what joe that he was dealing with and he worked out and not interested in taking the time to listen to what her needs are what her goals are and shift anything and so she feels like she can't ask any questions and she just kind of goes along to go along and she still doesn't understand what the portfolio is or what's going on what she has what she doesn't have and that that's what i love to do i love to sit down and really ask mm -hmm. them those questions listen to them find out what they how they feel about money money mindset is very very important it is and i and i feel like you know your listening skills in general <laughs> makes you a really great financial planner to these Thank women yeah, absolutely piper i got one for you we know that the rules change all the time for hospice, right? What are some typical guidelines to qualify for hospice care? Mm. The number one um, guideline really is set by Medicare, which is a life expectancy of six months or less. Um, other additional things is not a seeking aggressive treatment. Mm -hmm. So those that are still seeking chemotherapy, for example, would not qualify for hospice, even if their life expectancy is less than six months. Hospice is really focused on comfort and quality of life versus quantity or extending life. Mm -hmm. um, so it's those key attributes really is life expectancy of less than six months and not aggressive treatment, really switching from aggressive curative treatment to a quality or comfort okay so how often then are patients recertified and can you explain that process to us yep so medicare has sent up certified you know certifying time so you know individuals if they end up living longer than six months which happens quite a bit with great caregiving mm -hmm. um they're still as long as the life expectancy is, le or is less than six months they can stay on hospice for as long as it takes um that sounds really bad. But um, sometimes we have patients that stay on 12 months or a little longer because they're so well cared for, whether it's at home or in a, in a care home, that they're still life expectancies less than six months, but they're not declining to the point of death. Hmm. Um, so some stay on quite a while. Some, unfortunately, only spend a few hours or a day with us. So it's not disease-specific. It's diagnosis-specific. Uh, life, life expectancy. So we do have a majority, okay. I shouldn't say a majority, a, a major diagnosis is cancer. Um, but we have lots of patients with dementia mm -hmm. or Alzheimer's, mm -hmm. um, cardiac disorders, uh, stroke. So it doesn't necessarily tell us what their diagnosis is that defines their life expectancy. Um, but as long as their life expectancy is less than six months, they do qualify for hospice. Great. Kathy, how do you support your clients as they're facing healthcare choices with your expertise? Like, what are. What's one thing you would look at if you had a client that was that was facing a healthcare episode or crisis? Well, well hopefully, prior to that, right. I will have I will have done already a, a full financial plan overview, made sure that they're already set up for any crisis that might come into their life. And um, the other thing that I think it's really important for family members is that um, they're allowed, the parents allow the, the, the children to know their financial advisor and maybe have a sense of what's going on there. 
so that the financial advisor can call the children if they're noticing that mom or dad are slipping a bit and right. and not not either not answering their phone calls or not feeling well or having some cognitive difficulty right. or even abuse and so um, you know the more that that it's a family unit that I can communicate with the better for everybody and um, sometimes the the well, I'll give you a perfect example my grandmother had inherited um, you know essentially a um, money coming in on a perpetual basis from some leases my grandfather had set up mm -hmm. years before and um, a slimy financial advisor in Florida um, had gotten a hold of her when she, her cognitive abilities were slipping and she was referred by um, somebody that my grandmother had known for some time but her character I don't think was um, especially the best and referred this guy to my grandmother and he convinced her that oh at your age you really don't need all of those different checks coming in oh, gosh. and you should just sell all that property and put it into an irrevocable real estate investment trust now if my mother had had any inkling that this was going on then she could have had more of an explanation of what he was suggesting. Right. If he had suggested maybe a quarter of those leases, that might have made some sense in some sense. So you're building the foundation mm -hmm. to have these future conversations. Is Absolutely. What I'm yeah. And Piper, how do you? Um, how is hospice paid for, and mm -hmm. and and the different entities that pay for? for hospice? So hospice is um, a majority of our hospice clients are uh, Medicare, so that's about 95%. Mm -hmm. We also have regular insurance that has a hospice benefit. Um, so does Medicaid or Access. Um, and then we have some self-pay, but we also do a lot of uh, community service or um, donated care. So about 2% of our po um, patient population and is community service. Right. And then because you have a big volunteer group too. We do have a big volunteer yeah. group even through the pandemic they've stayed with us That's which is amazing. amazing but hospice doesn't provide necessarily shift work like with my staff if I if I sent my staff they would be there like four to eight to 24 hours hospice really doesn't do that right correct so they hospice is a benefit that drives the plan of care mm -hmm. so um, caregiving is not covered as part of a hospice benefit from any insurance company which it should be I 100% agree mm -hmm. we'll have a whole <laughs> other show on that let me tell you editorial time um, right. so so they don't but a nurse comes to visit um lnas or cnas come to do baths and mm -hmm. make um, beds and linens mm -hmm. volunteers and are, they are amazing they are amazing mm -hmm. so so how often then will uh hospice staff visit uh, how long will the visit last so it depends on what the patient needs so some of our patients they are seen once a week or every other week by a nurse mm -hmm. um, sometimes they're seen daily it all depends on what that plan of care needs okay. we do have some of our patients that live in an adult care home or a um, or a facility mm -hmm. so then they have 24-hour caregiving but again that's not covered under hospice that's right. either um, the family paying for it or if they have all or something of that 
such or a long-term care benefit. Um, what about 24-7 service? I mean, is hospice on call for emergencies or, you know, symptom management? We are. So we have um, nurses on call as, lo- as well as social workers if there's something that comes up and chaplain support. And then, of course, our physicians are on call 24-7 to manage any. That's good, right. Yep. And then we have an inpatient unit. So similar to in a hospital, if you need a higher level of care, like an emergency room or an ICU, we have an inpatient unit that provides that level of service for our hospice patients. So we have a 12-bed, I kind of call it our crisis hospice, mm-hmm. uh, which helps manage out-of-control symptoms. And that's Canmar mm. Place, correct? So Canmar's our hospice house. This is our inpatient unit at Hacienda at the River. Oh, that's um, right. And okay. then we have a five-bed hospice house, which... The family pays for room and board, and then um, two certified caregivers provide 24-7 care to five residents that are on hospice. It's the only hospice house in Tucson. Wow. Mm. So, Kathy, um, tell us about long-term care insurance and how it might help with home care and hospice patients. Well, long-term care insurance um, in the past was a standalone product. And most people don't know that long-term care doesn't kick in. So the payments for long-term care don't kick in for typically three months. You can get a shorter period of time, but you have a higher premium. That's the exclusion. Right. It's exclusionary. So somehow, some way, um, family or assets have to take care of that person for the first usually three months and it's kind of use use it or lose it right if they don't take advantage of their policy once they invoke it they'll withdraw right for the standalone policy Mm -hmm. they either like you say use it or lose it so um the industry has been shifting i think there's only two companies now that even provide um, an individual long-term care policy and even those Um, are dwindling for people choosing them because the costs of their premiums just keep going up because the costs of medical care keep going up. So now we have hybrid products where a client might um, have a sum of money that they've got saved um, in a bank account or in some sort of savings product, Mm -hmm. and um, they can transfer that money into a particular annuity or um, life insurance policy that then um, stands alone on itself, but then if long-term care is needed, then that kicks in. And some of the annuity products will double or triple the amount that you put in. So if you put in $100,000 into this product, when long-term care is used, um, it is triple, doubled, or triple, depending on the particular policy. And I and don't know if everybody heard, Kathy, but if you want Im- more information about that, I think it's really important that they reach out to you. So, again, <laughs> Piper and Kathy's information will be um, on the site. And Well, the one thing I want to say that I want to make sure people understand is there's different ways that that money can be paid. There's the indemnity and there's the reimbursement. The reimbursement is a pain in the patutski because yes, you have to provide. I, can yeah. uh, I haven't heard that one before. I can testify. <laughs> because you have to provide to them the in order to receive the money, you have to provide receipts. Yes. And, and notes and visit notes. And all of that rigmarole. Yeah. So especially on the family member, that's the hard one. Um, 
the indemnity is once they they qualify after that three months, then they can turn that long-term care on and off. So it's not once you turn it on, then you have to continue using it. Let's say they only needed long-term care for a year, and then they're back up and, and doing fine. Then they can turn it off, and then later on pick it up again. Right. Mm. And I want everybody to know, uh, fun fact, that Kathy's mom was my very first client before we even got our office space. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when we opened in 2015 and she was not happy about it mom was not thrilled but she finally got used to it how was that experience for you well, nothing like going to your warm market is there yeah right? well my mom in general did not like the medical establishment and so she was extremely resistant to any kind of medical care and um and that's one of the reasons why her health care declined so quickly was because she hadn't been. And yeah. 10 years before she died, um, I essentially brought her to Tucson because she was being extremely stubborn and independent and wasn't seeing a doctor. Um, she would see a chiropractor from time to time and it actually had a heart attack that her chiropractor had said, Dawn, you need to go see you know a cardiac specialist and she goes no he's going to tell me i had a heart attack and he and goes she, like yeah right and she didn't have long long-term care no. insurance right she so the cost not. of the caregiving the mm -hmm. professional caregiving from caring senior service mm -hmm. was paid for by you correct yes. so yes. do you wish that Oh, you yes. had been involved in the financial planning sooner. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Well, there's a, a, a classic case, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Well, Absolute I, classic case. Yeah, and, and it is a classic case. And she did have a trust at one point in time, which if she had used her money well out of the trust, she could have bought herself a long-term care policy yeah. um, way back when. But, you know, she was one of those that was la, 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 stick her head in the ground like an ostrich, and I'll deal with that later. And she had what I call sometime later itis. Right, and it's so, you know, it home care is expensive mm -hmm. and the costs increase because of the pandemic. The labor costs have gone mm -hmm. up and we pride ourselves on having kept our rates mm -hmm. uh, as low as we can. We're not gonna charge more just because we can, never mm -hmm. will. Um, yeah, but you came in and really gave me respite. And I think that's one thing that most people don't realize is, you know, you need to talk to your parents. What is your long-term long care yeah. goals? Right. Otherwise, my mother's long-term goal was me, right. that I was going to be her caretaker. Right. And some people don't know what the word respite means. So the mm -hmm. word, I'm not going to give you the dictionary yeah. uh, because I don't have it in front of me, but it's basically giving somebody a break. Yeah. So whether, I had a business to run. Mm. I had other things to <laughs> yes, do besides right. sit there and take care of oh, mom. Well, gosh. you're listening to Home Care Today with uh, your hosts, Cindy Scheller and Mark Bishop. Now, Caring Senior Service is the sponsor of this show, along with other home care agencies. Um, they often work with hospice patients, right, Paper? You know, to supplement care where needed. Uh, and Kathy... What are some of the financial steps that families can take then after what we've been talking about to help prepare the expense of, of seniors, you know, aging in place? 
Oh, there's just a myriad of those, and that's where sitting down with a good financial professional that's not only insurance licensed, but also securities licensed. So, so starting the conversation. Starting the conversation. you got to start somewhere, and the earlier that you start that conversation with family, the better, because then you can do some advice you mm -hmm. can listen to what options that are available until you end up in a situation where it's oh my gosh what are we going to do mm -hmm. brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and everybody's running around trying to figure out what to do because either there wasn't money set aside or it wasn't planned just wasn't yeah, planned. just wasn't planned well, and you know end of life can be very stressful for families extremely right? extremely stressful and patients for that matter mm -hmm. i mean how does castle lose help families cope in your situation Piper? what do you see when it comes to that what kathy's referring to so we start almost immediately with the family and the patients if they're participating with our social workers making sure everything with final arrangements are arranged we don't get into the financial side too much but mm -hmm. community resources mm -hmm. if they need additional care services as we know across the healthcare continuum one of the biggest crisis that we're moving into is the caregiving mm -hmm. you know both paid caregiving and also adult caregiving because those individuals similar to Kathy's situation that are left to caregive have full-time jobs have kids and now they're working from home and now they're working <laughs> from home with those children um, and mom and mom <laughs> or and dads <laughs> so um, really our social workers start from the get-go what are you know how how, what financial arrangements do they need, but also working with the family on their grief. Mm -hmm. You know, they're about to lose somebody that has been very pivotal to their world. And so working on grief um, is important from the get-go. So we have a team that focuses on that. So the bereavement piece, you know, we do want to want to talk about because when my I lost my dad a few years ago, mm -hmm. and he just was terrified. Yeah. And I will tell you, it was actually Agape Hospice that took care of him at the time. And I credit the um, bereavement counselor for giving him peace of mind and giving him that spiritual guidance, I guess I want to say. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think he would have made it without it. And he, he had end-stage um, COPD. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't uncomfortable, you know, the uh, nebulized morphine had ceased to help. So how do you see bereavement helping your patients, Piper? So I think that um, spiritual counseling is, in, is huge for both our patients and their family prior to death. And that doesn't necessarily mean religion-based. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of our spiritual counselors have done amazing um, work with patients that are, are trying to help them button up feelings and thoughts and um, putting life into perspective. Which is why, and I don't mean to interrupt you, Piper, no, you're fine. but I have a pet peeve about hospice. And here's my pet peeve. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. My pet peeve is people don't have the hospice conversation soon enough. Mm -hmm. And because of that, because a lot of people come in at the last minute, they're not getting all the help that comes with the the hospice family and it really is every hospice has a, a family right mm -hmm. correct and right. that hospice family is supporting 
the pa- not only the patient, but mm-hmm. the patient's family. So ugh, give myself chills. So, it just drives me crazy. I 100% agree. You know, we see patients and families so late sometimes that they feel like the minute that they sign that consent, mm-hmm. that they're, that death comes immediately. Right. And the benefit is actually looking at six months to help that family and that patient, you know, button up things within their own journey. So the earlier that they come on to hospice, the more opportunity it is for the families and the patients to actually wreak the benefits of hospice. And it's so important with young adults that yes. have young children. I mm-hmm. um, I remember a family in Los Angeles that I took care of. He was an attorney, and he had terminal brain cancer. Mm-hmm. And he had wee little ones. And I remember sitting on the couch with his wife. She was also an attorney. And they're... T- you know, so she was sitting on the left, I was sitting on the right, and the kids were between us, and we all sat there and cried together <laughs> because it was just really uh, emotional. And I had always wished they had gone on hospice sooner. So, so what happens if a patient, you know, does not qualify for hospice? Uh, I mean, can they go to palliative care or? So we do have a community-based palliative care, Mm -hmm. um, and that's looking at life expectancy from six months, and ours is really um, to 24 months, so chronic illness. Again, people can be seeking curative care at that time, but we're going after quality of life, symptom management, um, helping the families getting their final arrangements in, in place, helping them with their grief process earlier. We've had a few patients that are never able to say, I'm ready for hospice. Mm -hmm. Um, So they've actually died on palliative care, but palliative care is part of a continuum. So curative care is where we probably all live, where we're looking to Mm -hmm. cure whatever is causing the symptom. So as we progress down that chronic illness pathway, um, we start to look at symptom management, which is starting to move into palliative care. Not so much curing what's causing Mm -hmm. that symptom, but taking the symptom and making it easier. So like pain pain management is huge. Correct. Because a lot of people don't understand that with pain, you have to manage it well. You have to be on time with your medications, right? You're the Mm -hmm. RN. Yes. To stay in front of the pain. Correct. Pain management is huge. And it's not just about sedating. So people are so scared right. that once we start a pain med- management regimen, we're going to sedate them and they're going to not be participation. There were some days when I wish they had sedated my mother. Yeah. But anxiety <laughs> is huge, too, especially yes. as people, you know, COPD patients with mm-hmm. the, the, the difficulty breathing. So sometimes it's managing the anxiety that helps with the dyspnea. So really, working with that patient to decrease symptoms is huge. But palliative care has a different timeline, right? So the nurses don't go out once a week necessarily. Is that correct? Correct. So our palliative care is consultants. So we're going to work with um, a a primary care provider or an oncologist. And we're really focused on symptom management and quality of life. And then our social worker works on resources and things of that such. And their insurance will pay for palliative care as they do for... um, hospice, correct? I wish. That's no? a whole other discussion. Some insurances don't recognize palliative care really? as part of the Here continuum. we go again. All this right. would be a whole other podcast. Yes. Um, Medicare well, does. Well, I tell you what, let, do us a favor. When we come back, can, can we continue on this yes. line with the palliative? Because we, we've got to have a, a word from our sponsor, who just happens to be sitting here hosting the show, so we better do the right thing. Home care today. And Have a listen to this, folks. Caring Senior Service provides a variety of care services to help seniors age in place. We follow the mantra, when family can't be there, 
we can. But what exactly does that mean to us? And more importantly, what could that mean to you? First of all, we understand that many family members would like to take care of their aging loved ones, but aren't able to because of distance, schedules, or other responsibilities. We started our business almost 30 years ago because we realized that seniors in these situations still need loving care and attention. Second, we treat each client like part of our own family. We do what family members would do if they were able to help. We cook, we clean, we listen, we help, we care. And that's why we create customized care plans to enable every senior to maintain their independence and dignity throughout the aging process. Finally, we only hire individuals we would trust to take care of our own family members. All of our caregivers go through extensive background checks, rigorous interviews, and thorough training to ensure that they are qualified, experienced, and trustworthy. All of these aspects of our business can help you feel more confident when bringing a caregiver into your family. You can feel peace of mind knowing that your loved one is being taken care of in the way that you would take care of them. To learn more about how we can help your family, contact us today. And welcome back to Home Care Today, right here on uh, Tucson Business Radio. Hope you're enjoying it with uh, your hosts, Cindy Scheller and Mark Bishop. Now, before we took the break, we were into palliative care, weren't we, Cindy? Absolutely, we were. And we were talking about the payer sources and how they may differ between hospice and palliative care. Yes. So I would love for specifically um, managed care to recognize palliative care as part of the care continuum because mm -hmm. it's very different mm -hmm. than what we see at our primary care provider or some of our um, curative physicians. It is its own specialty. So there is a lot of work at the state level through the end of life care partnership through United um, United Way and also through Azaha up in the state to lobby to really define both um, across regulations but also across insurance, that palliative care is its own specialty. Yeah, Arizona needs to catch up. Mm -hmm. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. And I don't think that um, family, patients, um, and then the doctors that they're working with, in, in my mom's particular case, if I can go back to her again, um, she she took a really, really bad fall, and she had bleeding in her brain, and she had internal bleeding. They took her to University Hospital um, trauma unit, and the trauma, you know, she had um, declined and declined, and her Alzheimer's was getting worse and worse, and I was being counseled by um, people who knew about end-of-life care saying, no more. I mean, it's time. It's mm -hmm. time. And the trauma nurse wanted to do another operation. And I was like, finally, I was like, no, no more. Her quality of life was none. You know, she was like not my mom. She wasn't living anything. Right. She would stare at the television. She never read because she didn't understand what she was looking at. You know, and at some point in time, a family member, somebody has to make that decision. What are we going to continue to do? 
and take a stand because if I hadn't taken a stand, they would have done another operation to try to save her. And at some point in time, you just got to let them go. You know, you're absolutely right, Kathy. But on the other hand, when you're on hospice and you fall and you break your arm. Well, she wasn't in hospice at that point. Right. But if that would happen, Piper... Mm -hmm. You do what? So it depends on what the family wants. So sometimes patients do fall while they're in hospice, and the family elects to um, have it operated on, um, and some elect for just comfort measures. So it depends on where they are in their journey and what the patient or the family decides. Some decide to stay on hospice and just medicate for pain, um, and then some do opt for surgical intervention. But if somebody slices their hand open, you're not just going to let nope. them sit so there if, and bleed to death. No, so if they <laughs> I'm just nope. So if they slice no. their hand, hand open, they'll go to the emergency room, get stitches, and that's covered under the hospice. Benefit. And they go off a of hospice to go to the hospital, and then they come back home. No, nope, not hospice? necessarily. They should, depending on okay. what the cause of the emergency room visit. Sometimes it's covered within their hospice benefit. Okay. Um, so not necessarily. See, it, it gets it gets. It, very, yeah, we're getting into the weeds right yeah, now, people. It is a maze. It is a maze, and um, it's very confusing. Well, the payer sources in this must be, yes. you know. You know, there's a there, yeah. The payer sources and um, how how Kathy, um, do you have somebody that you helped that made it easier for them in terms of paying for care? Yes, um, I had a couple that were um, older. They had um, they had a long-term care standalone policy, and um, their care their kids were very thankful that they had gotten that policy because they did go into assisted living, and it made um, their assets were still there instead of um, you know dipping into the family's assets, and so mm-hmm. once their parents passed away because everything was covered under the long-term care they actually inherited some money that that then was split amongst the siblings and um, they became clients of mine because of the care that I'd already given to their parents is that what the question was Mm -hmm. that you're asking yeah we're just trying to we're, we're trying to ferret out let me ask you one. How, how are medications and medical equipment handled when someone goes on hospice care? Mm. Who pays for that? So that's mm-hmm. all part of the hospice benefit. So yeah. medications. Now, hospice may not keep patients on meds that were curative or that they no longer need. So that's deprescribing. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people say, I, I went on hospice and they took me off everything. And that's not exactly true. So if that medication mm-hmm. is no longer needed, we do deprescribe because we do see some benefits, mm-hmm. both in patients' mentality and their response to medication. So there is, if, if they need the medication and it's something that is um, promoting wellness within them at end of life, then the hospice provides those medications. Same with um, medical equipment, supplies, all of that is delivered to the patient. Yeah. The and that hospital saves bed money. The hospital mm-hmm. bed that they put in my living room was such a blessing. And yes. my mom eventually needed um, oxygen, so they brought that in. Right. And um, you know, the medication when I found that she needed something, I it was a phone call away and then I had somebody to talk to and then they delivered it right to the door sometimes within an hour or two. It was amazing. Yeah. And the hospice 
is always a mystery to certain people. So mm-hmm. that's part of why we wanted to talk about it. But I heard something new, which I didn't know, is that y'all have an agitation consult team. We do. I want to hear all about that. Mm. So um, Dr. Powell, who's one of our associate medical directors, um, started this about three years ago when you know we were struggling with caring for some of our patients with dementia, that um, they would get very, very agitated. And there's nothing if you Google, which is a great way to do medicine, is you Google. <laughs> um, but to, trying to find out, c- correct, that is not true. But trying to find if there was a toolkit already made Mm -hmm. for what to do with um, agitation symptoms or how to help patients that aren't just medication. You know, people tend to just medicate, 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 but really that's not helping. It's just sedating them. So we started an agitation program. We do um, presentations. We've done it with uh, the Alzheimer's Association, Banner Alzheimer's Association, or in... um, what are they? they the ins- they're the institute. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done it at the NHPCO level nationally that talks about these tools. So certain behaviors, what is a tool that is not medicine to help with it? So really re-engaging the patient and helping them find re- or value back in who they are. It helps with some of the boredom that we see with our dementia patients where people put them in front of TVs and that's not what they want. But maybe giving them an apron that brings back um, mm. either baking or we had a, a, a contractor who we made a Home Depot apron that had tools <laughs> that weren't harmful, awesome. but things that bring them back to where they were that help them find value again in themselves. Because the medications with agitation, they uh, we've had so many clients over the years where they'll get prescribed one thing and it has the complete opposite yes. effect. Oh, yeah. And yes. that so happened to my mom. The interactions with yeah. these yes. medications are crazy. Yes. It, and I think a lot of people don't know how to manage that agitation. Or, and sometimes it's just the look of the draw. Like you try this, see if it works with their physiology. Correct. Well, and one of the things that we forget is just basic needs. Um, so a lot of patients with dementia forget to tell us that they hurt or that they're thirsty or that um, they're tired or that something around them is too loud. Mm-hmm. So really going back to basic needs, um, sometimes just giving them a Tylenol every eight hours helps with those underlying arthritic pains that they're unable to communicate pain to anymore or making sure that they're eating and drinking mm-hmm. um, the basic things really help with some of the agitated behaviors or my mom used behaviors. to get very agitated about her um, organizer mm-hmm. and her checkbook and so every morning she would come down and she would this is before she was in hospice but she definitely had dementia and also was diagnosed as Alzheimer's and um, you know she'd want to know what was on her schedule for the day and she got really really mm-hmm. anxious and then she wanted you know like <clears throat> I was taking care of all of her financial stuff she really didn't have appointments but she had been always a very busy woman and it really agitated her so finally I had to take those away and I've heard about some um, folks with Alzheimer's, pictures of family mm-hmm. around them when they stop recognizing who those people are can actually agitate them. Taking those pictures away and putting them away can actually calm them down. Mm. Uh, also, um, not reminding them that they're demented or right. that they don't yeah, remember something. So listen, yes. Piper, how does Casa decide who is able to stay at home and who needs hospice 
you know, inpatient care. So hospice inpatient care, because hospice itself is a benefit. Um, so people will say they went to hospice. Um, that's mm-hmm. not necessarily true, because hospice is a plan of care or a benefit. Um, those that need to go to general inpatient or inpatient hospice, it's, it's symptom management, so uncontrolled pain. Mm-hmm. So if we're unable to control their pain in the home setting or in their care home, then they can move in for aggressive 24-hour nursing RN care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and assessment. So similar to like we see in acute care mm-hmm. where you need more aggressive treatment than you get at home, so you go to the hospital, it's the same but they're not a hospital, it's a hospice. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, hospice So that's where your patients go. Correct. Okay. And can they still go if there's like a breakdown in the family unit and the family caregiver? Does yep. that still benefit? So that's respite. Okay. So um, I wish they offered more ben- a respite, just yeah. not just for hospice in town because caregivers need that. It's key. So um, Medicare does offer five crazy nights without your loved one, which is called respite, so that you can put your loved one in a Medicare-approved facility if they're on hospice yeah. for five crazy nights, <coughs> um, and they can get respite and the needed sleep. And just for clarification, we use caregiver interchangeably in this conversation. So there are professional caregivers and there are family caregivers, mm-hmm. right? Correct. So just want to make that distinction so our audience doesn't get confused. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's mostly female caregivers. Typically, typically, you're right. And Kathy, as a healthcare, as healthcare costs rise, here's a question for you. How and when do you advise clients to stop wealth accumulation and start spending down their assets? Because many seniors have saved and invested for a rainy day and don't always know that it's pouring rain right now. Right. That is a very specific question. It'd be like going into a doctor and saying, well, when should blah, blah, blah do blah, blah, blah. My answer to that is it depends. It depends on so many different things. And, um, you know, is it time? That's a family decision. Is it time to start gifting away the assets so that so that there aren't those assets and that maybe they can qualify for Alstec or something? Um, and I think it also called? goes Alltech? back to your... Alltech what we were talking about earlier that you're building a foundation with their with mm-hmm. the families and with the clients so that you mm-hmm. know what's going on with them and the client client's family feels comfortable and i would think that if they're having these conversations with you gee we're mm-hmm. struggling with this diagnosis we're struggling yeah. with whether to go on hospice or not that well, might I think be that that's a good something, trigger yeah i think that's something i really added to my practice since i've gone through it mom's been gone now for four yeah. almost four years um it was a maze for me because I didn't know that I didn't know. And my mom had no assets at the end. Mm-hmm. And so there wasn't anything. She had dolls, lots and lots of dolls. <laughs> she had lots and lots <laughs> of dolls, bears, well, Kathy, quilts. In, in terms of long-term care planning, then, I, I've assumed that your clients may need uh, help mm-hmm. allocating their assets towards long-term care mm-hmm. or assistance mm-hmm. with insurance products, right? Mm-hmm. A- aim, aimed at meeting those particular costs. Right. I mean, insurance is not just for burial planning. Right. And, you know, buying the casket or hmm. whatever um, that might be needed to pay for after they die. Insurance is really used for lots of different 
avenues and the different types of insurance are used for different types of avenues. So life insurance is specifically to replace the income of somebody that is providing income. Mm-hmm. So either the wife or the husband, let's say that they both work, make $50,000 a year, their annual income is $100,000. Um, Joe doesn't come home from work that day because, you know, he had a crash and died on the way home. Now there's $50,000 that is no longer coming into the family. That's a big, big drop. Right. And so having life insurance on both the husband and the wife, even if the wife is a home care, you know, is a homemaker taking care of the kids, they estimate that a woman... um, if you paid for everything that she does, whether she's working or she's not, but if you replaced her, um, it's about $300,000 a year. And so um, you need life insurance on that. Absolutely. And then kind of stepping backwards when we were talking about spending down money Mm -hmm. and and moving away from uh, wealth accumulation, Mm -hmm. if they get to the point where they need Medicaid, Mm -hmm. which is... uh, major source of funding government funding for nursing home care right is that something that you help with or do you refer them to legal counsel or a different type of financial counselor? that would be that would be usually a public or private fiduciary that would Perfect. take care of that um you know i have part of my financial group is referral partners that i would send people to yeah there's lots of ways to to do that, but you need to know and have a plan as to what people's wishes are. Right, always. And Piper, in our last show, we talked about wills, POAs, trusts, and DNRs. And uh, from a hospice perspective, are all clients required to have a DNR? They are not. Again, it's their journey, so we're not there to define their journey. Um, most of our patients do come on with an advanced directive or a do not resuscitate. But I'd like to, you know, talking about spending down and, and finance, it's just as important to have those conversations on end of life mm-hmm. and um, what are your wishes. Absolutely. Too often we have patients that all of a sudden have an unexpected event and their family never had the conversation. And having that conversation of what, what are your care goals, what do you want, um, doesn't necessarily change the outcome or bring forth an outcome earlier but it's important to know what your spouse or your your mother or father really wants in their health care um, so I would advocate to have those conversations just yeah. as quickly as and it's and financial. it's really helpful for the whole family because yeah, sure. siblings might have different viewpoints about what should happen with mom or dad yeah. and it ends up being this family argument luckily my brother was on board and gave me pretty much full reign. Which is great, because you were here, right? Yeah, I was here with her, but my goodness, Mm. I've seen some horrible situations where everybody's fighting about what's gonna go on. Yeah, you don't don't want that. No, and Piper, you know, I'd I'd really like to um, hear about how to encourage our community to think about hospice in a new light, 
to better serve our patients with terminal diagnosis. Um, they, people wait so long. How can we encourage people to learn more about hospice? I think the biggest thing is it doesn't take away hope. It's a different kind of hope. It's a different kind of um, healthcare journey. Again, we want to know what is their care goals. What are they looking for at their end of life? Mm -hmm. um, it's not about prolonging. It's really about quality. Um, and it's scary. It's scary to think of our own mortality. Um, but again, this journey can it, you get surrounded by a family that will help you um, and help your loved ones. So it doesn't change the outcome or, or bring the outcome sooner. I think we just need to take that black veil, so to mm -hmm. speak, yep. around the word hospice. It's mm -hmm. really to help people on their journey. And I, um, I know that you have bereavement groups. Are they open to anyone in the community? Yes. So about 30% of our bereavement is community-based. I'd also like to point out and um, plug that we do have a COVID um, group for those that have lost loved ones to mm. COVID or caregiving. We also do this for a lot of healthcare providers, go into the hospitals or into settings where their caregivers are exhausted or their nurses are exhausted from caring from patients with COVID. Mm. So we have quite a few groups and then individual that also we have a survivor suicide um, group for serving the community. About 30% of our bereavement is is specific for community. Um, this was one of Lynette's big visions was complicated grief and ensuring that we cared for our community. So that is our bereavement program. I love that. And I always say, you know, part of this show, people think I'm crazy, but sometimes we have different companies sitting together, two hospice mm -hmm. people, two skilled home health care people, because the, the vision of this show is to give information. And at the end of the day, um, we always say it takes a village to facilitate, you know, the continuum of care in our community, whether it's you, whether it's me, whether it's Kathy. And um, I, I appreciate that you guys have been able to shift your practice for COVID-19 to include um, our community and the people that are in the trenches, really, with COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Some of those nurses, my goodness. Mm -hmm. How has uh, Piper uh, 19 I mean, you know, it's a dumb question to a degree, but everybody's been affected. But in your world, specifically, how did you cope? Um, well, I would love to give a shout out to not just the nurses for Casa de la Luz, but our LNAs and also those in the office. We shifted a lot of our... Um, services to remote uh, we had to shift the way we did things so a lot of facilities and hospitals didn't let us in wow. but those patients still needed us so we did lots of virtual and telehealth telehealth has been our friend yeah. um, but also you know we've been honored to care for over 220 um, COVID patients through this pandemic and their families and so being able to um, provide PPE to keep our nurses safe we've had zero uh, transmissions from patients to staff, which is huge as we've navigated this pandemic. Um, yeah. Again, it's just adjusting. So securing supplies for our families and our, our nurses, we were dedicated to serve our community, so we shifted how we did things in our inpatient unit so families could be with their loved one um, at the end of life, which a lot of facilities said, no, thank you, please don't come in right now. Um, we changed our visitation to allow mm -hmm. visitation. Um, well, we had allowed it, but we restricted a little bit. But it's so important for family to surround patients and loved ones. But we've done window visits. We've done tons of telehealth when we could get in and family could not get That's in. That's wonderful. Um, mm -hmm. So it really shifted how yeah. we cared. That's yeah. awesome. Hospice I, really is 
angels on earth. Yeah. Yeah, great. They really are. A lot of stress on you doing all of that as well. A lot of extra work, a lot of extra planning. It, a lot of planning, but you know, it, to look back, um, we have been so honored and so humbled to care for our community and, mm-hmm. and our staff and our patients that it, it really... Um, it I brings agree. a smile to my face just to know what our staff did to That's do good. it. Yeah. That's I good. Agree. And it's good you gave them a plug. Yeah. <laughs> so my favorite question, um, as we start edging our way towards the end of our show, is for both of you. And uh, we'll start with Kathy. What did you learn during two, uh, during 2020, the year of COVID, that you'll be taking forward, either professionally or personally? Well, I already knew that people needed to be listened to. Um, COVID, um, for me, uh, affected a lot of my clients when it came to losing jobs. Mm -hmm. And so they needed advice as to what to do with their 401ks, what to do going forward, what assets, how to take the assets if they Mm -hmm. needed them, you know, how to move forward in their life. And so I spent a lot of time on the phone listening to what their needs are, asking a lot of questions, and then, you know, from there giving them some advice. I see you doing that. Piper, how about you? Um, so I'm going to I'm going to give a shout out to Lynette and Agnes because our tagline is because every day counts. And I think 2020 sums that up both professionally and personally for me and for our staff is every day counts. So make it count. Absolutely. Well, I thank you both so much for your continuous referrals to Caring Senior Service. I uh, we're very honored to work with your patients as well and um, in the community. And it's always an honor to serve uh, Kathy, your clients, and Piper Casa de Luz's patients. So we appreciate you both, and I hope that everybody got a little bit walking away with knowing a little bit more than they did when mm-hmm. they tuned in. That's our goal, right, Mark? And if they'd like to call you, by all means, please tell the number. Yeah, my number is 520 and, of course, it's going to be up on the site on uh, Tucson Business Radio X. Just go to www.tucsonbusinessradio.com, uh, and uh, you'll be able to go to the site. You'll be able to uh, uh, to read the bios of both Kathy and uh, and Piper. And uh, any questions at all? Uh, this is only our third show. You, you've got the mission. You've got the idea. I do apologize for the beginning of the show today as far as the live stream was concerned. Here's the beauty of podcasting. We may have lost a few minutes on the beginning a technical problem doesn't matter the show will be ready for tomorrow it's going up permanently and it's going out to all sorts of platforms across the globe mm-hmm. so you know it's going to be there for a long time and if you did receive an email you know that's great because you can go to it at any time and listen again and again and again and that's the beauty of podcasting so you can repeat it if you've missed something back it wind rewind and away you go just play it again but a great show and yes we want you to learn get a nugget of some you know because look there's a lot of very interesting topics as we lift the veil on this industry there's a lot goes on and people don't know about and cindy's attitude and sydney's goal is to make sure there is somebody there is an outlet for you to listen to go to to find out because everybody's a team. Life's too short anyway. Absolutely, Mark. Thank you for joining us. And we'll be back another show every first uh, Monday and third Monday of the month, twice a month, Home Care Today. We hope you enjoyed it.
Home Care Today, where you get to meet the who's who of the Tucson home care industry. The podcast is live streamed at 3.30 p.m. every first Monday of the month and on demand on this channel and popular podcast platforms. Questions or suggestions, please contact Cindy Scheller at caringinc.com or Mark Bishop at businessradiox.com. Home Care Today is a Mark Bishop Media Production.